0: For the last number of months, in the fall through to Christmas time, we of course embarked upon a project from God's word to study what God has to say about uh, our uh, stewardship, uh, the use of the resources that He gives us, giving and uh, investing in the kingdom of God. And um, we uh, we presented that to you. We presented the theology of that from the scriptures of God's word. Uh, many of you, of course, uh, were challenged by that, and in particular were challenged with the need to, to make some changes in your, in your life. But many came to us and said, we really don't know how to make the changes. We really don't know what to do. We want to do something. We know that God wants us to change, and we want to, but we don't have the, the practical tools to know what we need to do and how we can do it. And so many were concerned that uh, God was not getting first, but he was getting leftovers. They were not able to do as much as they wanted to do. People were not able to be as generous as they believed God wanted them to be. Uh, certainly, uh, there were concerns that, that people were not able to respond to opportunities that, that God might surprise them with. The, the opportunities that we had to, to feed uh, uh, the kids at the refuge, to, to uh, participate in the bus stop Bible signs, and just things of that nature. and and fundamentally the the issue was because so many people have just too much debt I'm not sure if you know this or not but Canadians are the most debt-ridden people in the industrialized world and the G20 Canada stands in notoriously first our citizens with debt for every dollar that a Canadian makes $1.47 is debt and so we have a, a, a huge problem on our hands. And I would suspect that if that is the case within our citizenry, it's probably the case that has bled itself into the, the Christian context of Canada as well. We, have, as God's people, should be standing above that and demonstrating a, a different way of living. Uh, God wants us to live a different way. And, and for me, I never want to teach you something that's simply philosophy or theology Uh, Or instruction that does not include A practical response of Okay, what does God want me to do? What can I do about this? So we have uh, determined as a pastoral staff That uh, for the next 13 weeks Beginning in February 6th it will be a free preview night And then February 13th on For the 13 weeks We believe that the program Financial Peace University Is the practical answer to the theology That we've shared with you over these past number of months. And we're very excited about the results that have taken place all over where Peace University has occurred. We just received a report from another church this week whereby uh, so many of God's people really benefited from this and so we just believe that Sunday nights is an opportunity for you there are weeknight possibilities we consider but Sunday nights uh, with your busy schedules we think is a really ideal time we have a sign up sheet in the lobby won't obligate you to anything but it will give us an idea of the kind of interest that we have here so we can get this thing rolling we're going to do it because we believe it needs to be done and all of our pastoral staff are, are going to engage in this program and we want to encourage you we want to bring you along with us in this great program so Uh, you'll hear more about it but that's a a promo of what's coming up and um, we trust that you'll take advantage of it you can go online and and check out Financial Peace University and learn a little bit more about it Uh, we have some brochures that are available you can probably pick those up in the office we'll make more things available to you uh, as the the weeks go on Uh, the presentation will be by Dave Ramsey many of you who listen to WDCX probably are familiar with him you know Dave Ramsey on the radio okay that series he's going to be bringing the series and it's going to be a great opportunity for us so uh, that's what I wanted to share with you this morning As we get rolling uh, You'll remember that uh, a couple of weeks ago We embarked upon a series in the book of James And, and uh, the inaugural sermon Right from the first chapter Was all about trials And uh, in that text at the very beginning it said, James writes to his church And to those churches uh, uh, scattered all over the place All joy, count it when you fall into trials And I remember presenting that to you I remember saying You know when tests and, and hard times come into your life God's word is telling you Count it all joy Now there was a silent Collective sag in the audience Now you didn't say anything Because you, you, you know you, you need to you, You're good people And you, you believe God's word And you want to believe God's word And you want to take it in But you were, in your heart you were saying Come on I mean really Uh, Maybe we can get over a a, a leaf loss once in a while. I mean, maybe maybe we can get over that trial because, because frankly, we're getting used to that. But, but, But there are perhaps harder tests in our life, harder trials. What about the traumas of life, like a job loss, or maybe the loss of a spouse, or the sudden loss of a child? What about those times? Maybe a, a sudden accident in your life that leaves you disabled. What about those kind of trials? And those traumatic events? And those tragedies? Was James really talking about that? Was he really saying, count it all joy when that happens in your life? See, one of the challenges, of course, when those kinds of trials, or the intensity of those kinds of struggles come into your life, is the temptation to turn our backs on God and turn toward sin. And that's what James addresses. Open up your Bibles this morning to James chapter 1. He, being the pastor of a church, knew that knew very well that, that, that many of his people were not handling trials very well. In fact, when a huge tragedy or trauma came into their lives, rather than embracing God and counting it all joy because God was working in their lives and was strengthening their faith and was making them into a, a, a more Christ-like person, uh, they, were, they were losing it. They were, they were starting to turn away from God and... And turn toward temptation to sin. And sin leads to death. A very serious matter. And so James addresses this problem because he recognizes that a trial is very often an excuse to lead us into temptation. John Piper, in a blog uh, in March of 2009, wrote something very insightful about temptation. I think it's worth hearing. Every step, he writes, we take in is a step into the presence of temptation. There is no moment of your life that is not a moment of temptation. A moment when unbelief and disobedience is not a possibility. So I want to get real about temptation this morning. I want to talk to you about temptation... Because there are, in, in most normal human reaction to trials and trauma and nasty things that come into your life go one of two directions. We either look around to try and blame someone, or we use the trauma as an excuse to sin. Now, I hope I'm not dating myself too much here, but, but this whole blame thing about sin and, and, and temptation, excuses... It, you remember a guy named Flip Wilson? Does anybody remember that? Now don't you leave me out Twist? Thank you. Thank you. Flip Wilson. Remember what he used to say? When something bad happened, he did something bad. What did he say? The devil made me do it. He's always just passing it off. It's not me. It's the devil. The devil made me do it. You're going to notice in this text that the devil is not mentioned at all. Join with me. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. By the way, the word trial and temptation are the exact same word in the original language. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him when tempted. No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but... Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Our Father, as we uh, open your word, and it sits open before us this morning, I ask that you would um, uh, work uh, vigorously in our hearts. There are no doubt uh, examples throughout the, 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 the congregation this morning of, of trauma and trials and, and tragedies. And if there aren't, Father, we know they are they, are, they, they set upon us in an instant. Maybe in the past, Father, we have not turned to you, but we have turned to temptation, turned away from you. Lord, God, I pray that we would help, that you would help us to understand the critical urgency of getting this right. Lord, I pray that that we would not be swept away. I pray that we would understand that what we are talking about here is death and life. It's framed by James in a, a very serious matter. And Lord, I pray that That you might grip our hearts today and that that our souls might respond to you. Lord, our, our spirit might respond. Change us, Father. Draw us to yourself. Make us like Christ, I pray. And help us to win over this matter of temptation. It is real and it is relentless. And I pray, Father, we would know victory. In Jesus' name, amen. So James starts out his letter with the spiritual value of trials, but quickly, quickly notes that there is incredible challenges to trials as well in terms of our spiritual development. We have just been singing not too long ago, today I choose to follow him. Uh, Today, today I choose to follow him. Uh, Today I don't want to lose my footing, I want to follow the Lord, I want to choose him. But in truth, a significant trial. I'm perhaps only one significant trial away from being swept away from that that prayer, that song of prayer to God. So how do we choose? How do we choose to follow Him? How, How can you and I stand up under the test of trials, trauma, and tragedies, and not turn to sin? That's what we want to look at today. Because there are many portals to sin, but what I've discovered in my own life and in the life of people around me is that trials, pain, tragedy are among the quickest. Sadly, sometimes the most minor of inconvenience can send us for a loop. And make no mistake about it, a trial, a tragedy, is always a turning point in your life. You will either grow in your faith or you will let sin kill you. One or the other. There's no in between, there's no coasting. You will either grow or you will let sin kill you. And so I want to talk to you about three things this morning. One, there is a way that leads or brings life and honor. There is a way that brings shame and death. And there is a God who warehouses everything worth having. Know this first that trouble is never meant to take us away from God. It's always to turn us to God. You need to know about your God. He wants your undivided attention, and He will go to great extremes to get it. In fact, um, He didn't spare His own Son. But by the Holy Spirit, the Son of God was led into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted. And there he was victorious. The Son of God. Proving that by God's strength, through God, you can be victorious over temptation. So I want you to know this first. That life-giving, because we're going to talk about life-giving and life-taking today. We're going to be talking about life and death. That's the seriousness of the matter. The simple reality is this. Life-giving happens when trials cause us to turn to God. That's what James was pointing out. That's why he said, consider it pure joy, my, my brothers, my sisters, when you fall into really heavy times. Because the testing of your faith during those heavy times when you persevere, when you hold on desperately to God, you will grow. You will gain life. You will gain strength. Hold on. But trials to test our faith and our loyalty can become temptations to sin. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. The the first Adam. The second Adam, of course, is Jesus Christ. The first Adam was Adam. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had everything perfect. It was pristine. It was there in that garden that the first test was put upon them. God gave them His Word. And understand this. Temptation is all about allure... To allow your life to fall away from the truth. To, uh, to jettison the truth of God from your life. And so you recall in the Garden of Eden that God gave his word. It said that the, they should, uh, they should um, eat of anything they wanted in the Garden of Eden. Except for the one tree. They must not eat or they would die. That was the word of truth that was presented to the first Adam, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. And here's the lure. The lure, of course, was the temptation in the area of success and power. They were tempted by the tempter who came to them and and said you can eat and you will become like God. Eve, take of this thing and You'll get a promotion. It was the lure to to jettison the the truth from their lives. The temptation to success and power. That's what temptation is. It's often that it's a trial that awakens and gives life to dormant desires. Things that we didn't even know were there. So two things went wonky that day in the garden. The first was this, that they chose stuff over God. And the second thing is that they chose their preferences over God's promises. Now, um, God wants our undivided loyalty. And in the time of test and trial, it really is a time for us to find out are we really loyal to God or not? Are we going to turn to Him or are we going to turn our back on Him? And so the the challenge, of course, was was in this situation. And so they, instead of choosing the promises of God and God's word, they chose their preferences to be promoted, so-called. James writes in his word, Blessed! Blessed is the person, blessed is the man, the woman, who perseveres under the test, because when they have stood the test, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised. Choose God! When it gets rough, when it gets really rough, choose God. Don't turn from Him. Don't turn to stuff. Turn to God. Don't try and manage preferences. Choose the promises of God. Simply put, you can't trust your preferences. You can't trust your perceptions. You know, I hear a few little things and I put a few little dots together and connect a few little lines and all of a sudden I've got this wild conspiracy in my mind. That's that's the kind of perceptions I have. The only thing that grounds us and puts us right at the center of reality is the truth of God's Word. It's always reliable. God is always reliable. You'll be blessed, not only in the future, but presently. And the promise is life. And the question that he puts before us in every difficult situation, are you going to choose the promises of God or your own preferences and your own perceptions? Are you going to choose God or are you going to choose stuff? Life-giving happens when trials cause us to turn to God. So James says, look upward for strength and far out for promises of God. But secondly, let's be clear choosing sin as a solution or a reaction to trauma in your life will kill you. It won't help you. Life-taking happens when we allow trials to lead us into the temptation to turn against God by sinning. Sin separates us from the life-giver. Sin places us in exile from God. Let's be honest with each other. This temptation has no doubt touched you each of our lives somewhere along the way. Where something is so pressed on us, it's like, you know what? I'm giving up on God. Forget this. The temptation is to turn from God. We add, then, suicide to the tragedy. Do You understand that? You add spiritual suicide to your already traumatic event if you're going to turn from God. That's what the text here says. Verse 15, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You're choosing a sentence of death to turn from God. The first thing that most of us do when something nasty happens or when we feel deprived in some way or we feel even inconvenienced is to blame somebody. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? First thing that happened Adam sins. They eat of the fruit. They go and hide from God. God comes searching for them, says to Adam, What's the deal? What does Adam say? The woman that you gave to me messed up my life. Now guys, there are times. And so Adam immediately shifts blame. What's Eve do? Because Eve says, "What's the deal, Eve? Well, there was this door-to-door, slimy serpent salesman who sold me on this food timeshare thing, and I, I'm sorry, I just bought into it. It's the salesman's fault. I, I, I thought you girls were repulsed by snakes. I'm not understanding this thing in the Garden of Eden. Why in the world would a snake have some way of convincing you to turn on God? And so what you see here in this situation is... Two people throw their relationships under the bus in an instant. Adam throws Eve under the bus. He throws God under the bus. Eve throws the serpent under the bus where he belonged. You know what James says? Forget the Flip Wilson garbage. Each one, verse 14, is tempted when by his or her own evil desires. He or she is dragged away and enticed. The bad news, everybody, is you are the problem, and I'm the problem in this thing. Don't look around for someone else to blame. It is essential to own your desires and their danger and power to entrap you and destroy you. The battleground for loyalty to God is fought within the landscape of your own character. That's what the teaching is here in the Word of God. And of course, the biggest temptation for us when an immense trial or trauma or task or weight comes into our life is to say, wait a second, who's running this universe? I mean, who's the sovereign God of this universe? Who in the world is the one allowing this in my life? It's God. And you know what? If that's the way he wants to kind of treat me, I'm bailing. I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard God's people say it's God's fault. It's his fault I'm alone, therefore forget the purity stuff. It's God's fault that he gave me a rotten spouse, so I'm abandoning faithfulness to my marriage. It's God's fault that that, that the job downsize took place and I don't have enough money anymore, so I'm sorry, I'm taking it from what I was going to give to him. Because... God has left me no choice but to sin. James says in verse 13, Are you kidding me? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Let's make no mistake about this. The God who loves you the God who sent His Son to die for you and to bring you into His family and to rescue you, that God cannot be talked into or tempted into doing something nasty to you. He never has an evil idea ever come into His mind. Nor would He ever let an evil idea come into His mind. Nor does He try purposely to make you fail. On the contrary... The tests, the trials, the traumas are designed to get your attention. Because when good things are rolling in our lives, we tend to drift away from our intimacy with God. He wants us back. He wants us to turn to Him. And so, um, the teaching here, of course, is, is that that God allows us by, in the fact that we live in a broken, fallen world to, to be in the presence of temptation. But He never sets out for us to fail. He doesn't sit and having conjuring up ideas of how hard it's going to be so that uh, I'll, I'll make it really difficult for them so they won't possibly succeed. Not in your life wants us to turn to Him. By the way, you need to come out tonight. I'm going to handle a lot of stuff on this whole area tonight. There's way more than you could handle this morning on this particular subject of temptation and sin. And we need to deal with it this, uh, t- this evening as well. By the way, there's more than I could handle this morning. So you can't handle the truth. So you need to come out tonight to handle more of the truth that we're going to deliver. So please, if you're not in the habit, this is so important. This is life and death stuff. The lure of sin is not somebody else's fault. We live in a culture... ...that refuses to take accountability for anything. In fact, this word phrase here... ...your evil desire... ...is the word epithumia. Two Greek words put together, epi and thumia. Epi meaning among or on... Thumia, meaning passion. It's your deal. It's the passion among you, on you. It's, it's your desires, as deformed as they are. It's, it's that thing within you. Some, some of us call in the Christian circles, it's the old man thing. It's the, it's the sinful nature. By the way, your father's not your old man. The old man is that sinful nature, that thing within you that, that will lead you away from God if you allow it. It's your independent, passionate longings, your desires, your self-interests, your impulses. And by the way, what those things do to you is they drag you away. You get it in your mind that God's not being fair to you? You get it in your mind that God is not taking care of things? Maybe God doesn't have the power, maybe whatever, he's asleep, he's gone away from you, he's mad at you, whatever... And you get in your idea that I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to go fantasize some plan, some new idea that will make me feel better. It drags you away. You become both prey and predator. You drag yourself away. You're enticed by this fantasy that you create in your own mind about a better plan than God has. And you pursue it relentlessly. And it leads you to anti-growth. It says in the text that when it is full-grown, it gives birth to death. Do any of us want to give birth to death? Of course we don't, but that's what this does. It takes you to a full-grown completion in sin. You become skillfully shaped in evil. You become an expert expert in sin-making. You you become a sin-making machine instead of becoming more and more Christ-like, which was the purpose of the test and the trauma and the situation in the first place. It's a desperate situation. By the way, there are four dangerous lures that I just want to give you. I just want to throw out for you this morning so that you can think about them in your own life because maybe you've bumped up against these things. We'll just give you a bit of an outline this morning, not go into too much depth. I want to go into more depth tonight about some of the hard questions of this whole temptation, sin, God, testing, all of that. What's the deal? But let me just give you quickly some lures to temptation. One is success. Probably at the top of the list is success. You hear that in your heart, you hear that in your own evil desire. You know what? You could be a lot more successful if you wouldn't be so stuck on the principles of God. Come on, businessman. If you just shade it a little bit, just just bump up against the edge it's just a little bit. Stop being so honest. You could be successful. You could be a, 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 a more, uh, 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 you could have more things in life. You would be better off. Just let go of some of those biblical principles. You know, God wants you to be happy, right? Right? I know you're not going to buy into that because you've heard... Too often the answer to that God wants you to be holy Does God want you to be happy Well, That's, that's the statement we give God wants me to be happy and, and by the way Pastor Ricky You need to know that That you know I, I've um, you, you know um, I, I've I've bought all this stuff I just went out and bought A whole bunch of stuff And, and, and by the way I, I, I upgraded the house It's like, an, it's like amazing And, and, uh, and I, I took a sign that, that God must be in it Because my offer was accepted Hey I, I'm a. I was a real estate salesperson. Yeah, like every offer is accepted if the money's good enough. You know what I'm talking about? I wouldn't use that for God's will. Don't don't take that as an open door. Yeah, but you can't afford that house. Well, yeah, I know, I know. I'm gonna, but I can work harder. You know, you know. Yeah, I, I won't be able to. I'll have to bail on Tuesday night programs now. I can't I can't work there because I'm gonna have to work harder. And, and I know I know I'm gonna have to give up a lot of family time. But, but you know, the door was open. And more successful. The lure of success. The lure of man being good enough, or inherently good. That's out there, you know. The inside is fine. James says the inside is not very good. Your own evil desires. People say, well, I'm I'm totally shaped by external things. Or others say, who's to say what is sin?" It may be sin for you, but it's not necessarily sin for me in our relativistic age that we live in. Because man is really good. Then there's this other bizarre idea out there anybody who dies, they just become an angel. So you're surrounded by all of your old family. You know, there are angels there helping you be more successful. Come on. The lure of man is good. I'm not bad, it's my background my mother and my father if you were raised in my home you'd know that I have an excuse to sin I do not want to in any way appear unsympathetic uncaring or anything and I understand that there are backgrounds that are horrific that absolutely make the shaping of a person difficult upon difficult but it is not acceptable to choose to sin because your background was tough god says turn to me that's the whole that's what god specializes in god specializes in all of us All of us are broken totally. You realize there's no one who is good. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. It doesn't matter what your background is. We are absolutely all spiritually dead. It requires a resurrection work of God to save any of us and bring us into his amazing kingdom, into his amazing family. And then he says, you're my project. Trust me, let me work on you, let me make something happen, but don't keep looking at me and saying, my background won't let you do a work in my life. Take responsibility, be accountable for the choices you make. No man is not good. The third lure is sin is no big deal. You heard that one? What I'm doing isn't harming anybody because I'm doing this in private you kidding me? I can get forgiveness. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. Hey, let me ask you a question. If someone continues to do the same thing to you and asks you to forgive them over and over again, I know we're supposed to. I understand the Bible. But do you really believe for one second that they're sorry? What do you think God thinks? Sorry means stopping doing the behavior. Okay, so my thought life is whatever, but I'm not acting on it. Well, maybe not yet. Who says it's sin? The Bible can be variously interpreted. I'll be happy by this choice. I know it's not what God says is okay, but it'll make me happy. James says when this stuff is full grown, it gives birth to death. It won't make you happy. The the other one which we've really touched on, but I want to I want to hit it again. It's all God's fault. God let me lose my job. God let me lose my spouse. God gave me a horrible upbringing. God opened the door, so this must be his will. God let this tragedy happen. I'm just trying to pick up the pieces and cope. I know I'm medicating myself with sin, but it makes me feel better. Do you know what James says? Look at what he says. Verse 16. Stop being deceived. Stop letting your epithumia deceive you and turn you away from God. Sin is a choice, a very bad choice, and it's a choice to give your life away. In fact, it, is, it takes away your life. So the third and final reality is here, God is not the taker. James says, look it. Turn this way, folks. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Don't turn to yourself. Don't turn away from God and turn to some fantasy that you've created and move in that direction. No, turn to God. You choose sin, you're going to choose to suffer. You turn to God, and He offers completeness in Christ, a complete makeover. It's the right way to do it. God does not send temptations. He sends good and perfect gifts. Like wisdom, for instance. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us life through His Word. Know this. God is Father creator of all good things. God is light. We're not at the mercy of chance or good or bad fortune or the luck or bad luck of our background to excuse our bad behavior. We're not at the fate of astral bodies and systems. That's that's why James says he's the father. God is the father of the heavenly lights. I, I suspect all around his church and Perhaps even in his church there were some people who were dabbling with the whole idea and the whole notion that, that we're somehow our life is somehow uh, um, corralled and shaped and driven and, 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 and directed by the astral bodies. The alignment of the planets, the alignment of the stars. I can't help my sin. I'm a Sagittarius. What can I say? I, I really am, even though I shouldn't know that. James says, God is over the Father, the Creator. He made the stars. He made the planets. He made the moon. He made the sun. He put it all in its course. He runs it. He drives it. He directs it. It doesn't direct you. It doesn't direct God. And because he's the Father of the heavenly lights, he is the ruler of all things. And by the way, he is unchangeable. You know this. But sometimes, you know, when a really bad thing comes into our life, we think, I don't think God likes me today. That can be the only excuse for this. I think think God's mad at me. I don't think he likes me. Listen, God is crazy about you today. He's crazy about you yesterday, and he's crazy about you tomorrow. The God who loves you, who chose to bring you into his family, never changes. He doesn't change his opinion about you. The situation that's in your life, whether traumatic or tragic or or, or however hard it might be, however the trial is, the guy's singing, you know, he never promised that the cross wouldn't get heavy. He never promised that the life we would lead wouldn't have to go uphill. He didn't promise any of that stuff, but what he did promise is that I love you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And he never changes about that. You know that uh, the heavenly bodies move around, the moon moves around, and the earth moves around the sun, and and the shadows change, and the seasonal effects on our life are quite dramatically different. We're freezing to death today. We'll be boiling in a few months. That's the way it works. But God doesn't change. He doesn't grow cold. He doesn't get hot. He just always loves you. And He chose you. as a special project, regardless of how your background works materialized to make you into a special treasure and an amazing testimony to what God can do in a life that turns to him when trouble happens regularly when big trouble hits everybody leaves The people who hung out with you when you had everything clicking and all the money and success and and everything was cool, you know what? They all leave. God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He's always and only the source of good things for those who trust him. Anything you really want in life that's worth having God has it for you. He warehouses good and perfect gifts and wants to give them to you. So, when it gets tough, James says, don't, whatever you do, blame God and get tempted to bail on him and turn to sin. It'll kill you. Turn to God and live. Father, Please help us. Please help us to do what your word says. Regardless of the challenge, Lord. Help us to turn to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, sin is a choice. It's a decision not to seek God in a crisis and then to blame him. And it's killing us. It will kill you. The offer in the scriptures is that rather turn to the God who chose you and gave you birth by the word of truth and then makes you into a kind of first fruits of creation. In the time of trial, in the time of trauma, in the time of crisis, turn to God, and He will, because you are a treasured possession of His, He will cause your life to be fresh and bring forth fresh fruit, like the pristine Garden of Eden when He called forth life. And He will use your life as, a, as an amazing witness of a God who brings to life amazing Freshness and fruit from broken pieces. And in the process. Embarrasses the principalities and rulers in high places. The demons. God. By us turning to him. Causes our lives to be victorious in crisis. And trauma. And trial. And tragedy. Choose life. Don't choose to turn from God Not ever And go to sin It leads you to death Our Father What an amazing truth What a hard truth To emotionally embrace In the moment of crisis But Lord Would you make us and shape us Into that kind of a person Lord would our first inclination Be to turn to you Not turn away from you to turn for help, not to blame you and and turn our back on our friendship, Lord, but rather to run into your arms. You won't leave us or forsake us. And you will give us strength to persevere, wisdom to know how to deal with this uh, horrific situation and to stand as a treasured possession of yours, highly prized as a living witness and testimony of the greatness of God, Who rescues broken pieces and makes us into a masterpiece that's our desire Lord make it our desire Lord I pray in Jesus name Amen if we can help you out and pray with you if there's anything going on in your life that uh, is making this a challenge you meet with us down here at the front there's pastors here otherwise God bless you have a great day come on back tonight we have more to talk about in this thing Thank you.